0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Indeed, today is the day. So today is the day. What are you going to do with today? What What are you doing with the day that God has made? Like God made the day and God gave you this day or he did he give you the day or did he give the day to you? I don't know. Anyway, God gives the day and God is right now like animating your life, providing the air you're breathing, the uh, the ability to maneuver that vehicle in the rain. Uh, I know the windshield wipers are flapping. I know that there's, you know, you're driving next to, you're, you're like on, you're like on the interstate, and you're like between a bus and a tractor trailer, and you are deciding right now whether to prioritize what I'm talking about uh, over anything else. And so, <clears throat> first of all, drive safely. And if you're going to pray, do it in what I call open-eyed prayer, right? Uh, and so, you know, all that'd be all the wisdom I have for today. Don't text and drive. These are some of my PSAs. But this is the day the Lord has made. And you and I have a choice. We we have an actual choice to make whether or not we are going to live this day in such a way that it bears witness to the reality of who God is, or if we put the, the, the light of that truth under a basket, you know, like, un, which is not where it's supposed to be. Like, you can't, you can be a bright, shiny light, but if you're stuck under a basket, like, nobody can see it. Like, that's the point of that verse of scripture. So, you know, you and I Um, are supposed to shine like lights out there in the world. We are supposed to be sort of the broadcast network of the gospel in the world that God so loves. This is the day that God has made, and you and I are alive in it. And so this is the day, and wherever you are is the place where you are the person who has to be shiny. And so what does it look like, not in a, hey, 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 look at me, look at me kind of way, but uh, what does it look like to live a life where you and I are doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, and we're doing them in such a way that they don't bring glory and attention to us, but to God. You know, so we talk about um, doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do in such a way that God is glorified, right? That they would see our good works and they would glorify God who is in heaven. That's, That's the point. I mean, that's if you've ever wondered, like, what in the world am I in the world to do? That's it. You are in the world as a Christian to go be shiny today on this day that God has made. And to do so um, rejoicing in all circumstances, in, you know, in the spirit of Paul, who is in prison, being tormented in ways that, gosh, it's really hard to imagine what his life was like and what he physically endured. Um, But in all of it, he rejoiced. Why? Because, in his own description, he knew the secret of being content. So if you are a Christian, you actually already possess and are possessed by the one who is the peace that passes all understanding. Like, he's the Prince of Peace, and he's reigning as Lord in your heart and in your mind. So you already possess in yourself the peace which passes all understanding, and therefore you have access to this secret, this this—it's not gnosis. It's not secret knowledge. Please don't send me. Don't accuse me of Gnosticism here today. I'm—I'm <clears throat> uh, I'm aligning myself here with the Apostle Paul, who says, "Hey, look, I know the secret of being content in the midst of all circumstances. Well, what is it? What is the secret? Well, the secret is Jesus, and you and I are the broadcast network, the—the the shiny lights out there in, you know, what Paul also describes as a perverse generation. Um, we're it." Like, if you ever played a game of tag? How about flashlight tag? This is a good. Here's a good thing for you. Or like, lightning bugs are right now timely, but flashlight tag is something that if you haven't ever played, super fun. Um, has to happen after dark, which is I know kind of late right now. But get get some flashlights, pass them around, and and uh, and then go run around in the woods or the yard or whatever, and you use you you use your flashlight to tag somebody. Okay, this is a go. Be shiny, right? Now, if you were just running around with your flashlight on all the time, you'd be pretty easy to find, right? That's how we're supposed to be. Be the wingnut out there today who leaves your flashlight on all the time in a game of flashlight tag. Why? So people can find you. Do not put your light under a bushel basket today. Go be shiny. Um, Why? Because the world needs, needs some shininess. It needs some people who are saying, you know what? I recognize that there's fallenness and brokenness and devastation all around and disappointment and people are naughty. But hey, this is first of all not the way God created it to be and he's redeeming it. He's working right now to bring about redemption in your life, in this world, right here right now. Well, how's he doing that? Well, that guy's name is Jesus. Let me let me introduce you to him. All right, so that's it. That's uh that's my goby shiny message for you uh, this morning. Up next, Adam Holtz. He's a shiny guy. He works for PluggedIn.com and every Friday he comes and shares with us sort of big screen, small screen entertainment news. Um, It's a little bit, you know, we try to do something a little bit light and airy during this segment. So up next, Adam Holtz. Adam holds his back. You can check out uh his work at pluggedin.com. It's a ministry of focus on the family. We love to talk with Adam about what's on the big screen, what's on the small screen, what what are screens doing to us. Um and so Adam, man, welcome back.
1: Carmen, always good to talk to you on Friday mornings.
0: Okay, are you going to be on vacation for the next couple of weeks? I am. Okay. No, that's good to know. Like, it's like, this is like an early warning system. We're letting people know that we got to get, we have to, we have to suck all the marrow out of your bone today. Like, right. We got to get it all. We got to get three weeks worth today. I know it's a lot, man. It's a Uh, lot to ask of you, but there you go.
1: I'm trying to evaluate if I have that much marrow to give today, but I'll do my best.
0: You do. Okay. All right. So, uh, where do we want to start? Let's start with, um, and uh, this little small independent film called Farewell, because I know you like it. Yeah, all I right. do. I have no idea. You know, I don't know anything about it.
1: Here's the thing. There's so much in our pop culture that, you know, gets blared from the mountaintops, metaphorically speaking. And and we typically know the big movies, the, you know, the Toy Stories and Aladdins and Lion Kings and Avengers and all of that. Um, and every now and then, while you're not looking something sneaks into the theaters that is kind of quietly, well, if not amazing, at least really surprising. So this was a really nice surprise. This is a movie that is based on the question, is it ever the right thing to lie? It's a pretty provocative question. Let me give you a little more context. This movie is about a Chinese matriarch of a, a big family. She lives in China, and she's been diagnosed with lung cancer, and she's she's going to die. Except that the diagnosis that the doctor gives, he gives to her sister, and her sister says, we're not gonna tell her. And she goes by Nene, it's not her actual name, it's sort of like grandma. Um, but Nene is none the wiser. They totally lie to her, they say you're in great health, uh, and the whole family gets on board with this deception. Uh, and then they go a step farther, in, and they they uh, sort of engineer a fake wedding. So Nene has a grandson who's just started dating somebody. He actually lives in America. Uh, and a number of the relatives live in America. And, and so they say, hey, you know, your grandson's getting married. We're going to have a big celebration. Well, the whole thing is a pretense to bring the entire family together to say goodbye to Nene. Except that she doesn't know that she's being said goodbye to. And... um it's a really interesting film. The main character is played by an Asian actress named Aquafina, who's done a couple other things. Um, she was in Crazy Rich Asians a year ago. And she plays a character named Billy, who's an artist in New York. And she is aghast at this lie that's being told. And everybody knows that Billy is kind of emotional, that she doesn't keep secrets, so they don't invite her to the wedding. Um, mm. But Billy. Billy shows up anyway. She comes on her own, and everybody kind of holds their breath, wondering, "Is Billy gonna, you know, give the secret away?" And um, she gets there, and she realizes she can't. She can't do it, and so she lies like a rug too. Um, but it's a really interesting movie about family dynamics, uh, about American culture, about Chinese culture. Um, and at one point, she has this sort of confrontation with another relative, and. You know, she's basically saying we have to tell her. And the relative says, you know, in America, the the thing that matters most is an individual's feelings. But in China, the thing that matters most is what the family agrees on together. Um, And so even if you disagree with the lie that they tell, I'm not trying to be a moral relativist here. It really is a contrast in cultures and what cultural values are. And um, very touching film a couple profanities everybody gets pretty sauced at the wedding that's truly really the biggest issue it's a pg movie and they don't make pg independent movies they're just they're rare as hen's teeth um so i i really liked it and not really you have, some, you have like, like a whole lineup, a lineup of collo-
0: colloquialisms today like you're well, yeah, you, you, know. do you have a list man because it's you're working no, through it's them it's really fun hen's teeth just, yeah. and i don't know that's awesome yeah, well, I raise chickens, so I happen to know hens don't have teeth, which makes them oh, extremely rare.
1: Extraordinary. you gotta have a mutant I like hen, it. and that would be in the <laughs> X Men or something.
0: That With would be a different. The that X-Men. would be a different show. Like, hey, when we we have to take a quick break. When we come back, yeah. can we talk about? Um, can we talk about well can we talk about trailers because uh and I know this is not on our list, so here you go, here's a little um uh, but I'm betting right. that you have seen the trailer, the Mr. Rogers uh you know, the Fred Rogers film that's coming out, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um I don't know about you but my Twitter feed is just blown up with people that are like weeping over the trailer. <laughs> so I I want to talk about trailers and sort of like what that is all about cuz that like seems to be yeah. a thing now and then specifically yeah. uh give us a little insight into that movie. So Adam Holt <laughs> is here with me today from Plugged In. You can check it all out at pluggedin.com uh and he and I'll be right back. <laughs> Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from PluggedIn.com. dot com. All right, Adam, trailers have become like a thing. I, I this seems I don't like an interesting development to me. Maybe I have not been paying close attention to the importance of trailers, but it seems to me as if they have like a rising cultural importance in terms of um, you know sort of the lead up to the release of a film. So talk with us first yeah. of all about trailers, and then specifically, I'd love uh, I'd love to hear what you think about. Um, the trailer for uh, the A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood movie?
1: Well, I think that the trailer's thing is, is interesting on multiple levels, and I think their importance is really a reflection of where we're at culturally. And here's what I mean by that. You know, I can remember as a kid growing up, if there was a trailer on for a movie I wanted to see, I might hear it on TV in the other room and come running and hope that I caught the last three seconds of it. You know, I remember... Some of the Star Wars sequels. This dates me a little bit, you know, in 1980 and 83, and just how it was this tantalizing glimpse of of something I was so curious in. But if you missed it, you missed it. You know, there was no DVR. We didn't have VCRs recording stuff. But now we have YouTube and we have other video platforms, and trailers are a huge, huge thing in terms of promoting a, a, a movie and. Because there's so much stuff in the marketplace, um, I think that they have gotten increasingly sophisticated, they being Hollywood studios, in terms of using trailers to tease us out. And, and trailer releases are now you know, a big event. I'm not sure when the first Star Wars 9, uh, The Rise of Skywalker trailer will drop, but I'm sure there'll be a press release telling telling us, hey, it's going to drop here. And you can see it here. Sometimes they do them during the Super Bowl, that sort of thing, um, and you go online, and some of them have a hundred million views, so um, you know trailers tap into our desire to know what's going on, they tap into fanboy culture, and as you mentioned, they are really indeed a thing now
0: so we have this trailer I'm hoping you've seen it um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And so, I mean, we know Fred Rogers, like, right. And we, I feel like we really celebrated him this year, but now there's this feature film. Tell us a little bit about it and what you learned from the trailer.
1: Well, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is this upcoming movie. It comes out in November and it stars Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. And honestly, it takes about a nanosecond to see that, man, it feels like Tom Hanks has moved into the ghost of Fred Rogers. I, I don't mean to get weird spiritually, but, I mean, he nails it. Uh, and and Tom Hanks just has this ability to, I think, uh, understand a character. And so it is um, a movie that takes place later in his career, and it involves his relationship with uh, – it's a fake journalist in the movie. They call him Lloyd Vogel but it's based on a real life Esquire journalist named Tom. I think it's Juneau. Uh, We'll we'll go with my French pronunciation there. Um, And, you know, just this guy getting to know Mr. Rogers. And so often, you know, when, when journalists do sort of investigative or, uh, you know, profile pieces, you find out there's this huge disconnect between what you see and what you know of somebody's public persona and who they really are. And, I think the beauty of this one is Mr. Rogers is exactly who we thought he was. And, and that's what this journalist really kind of discovers is that he's an amazing man. And even though it's easy maybe to make jokes about how simplistic or innocent he is, uh, there's something about his purity and his integrity that it can't help but affect you. And I think especially in the time that we're living in, it's so jaded. It's so cynical people behave in public really badly um it it just feels like this sort of refreshing throwback to a time that feels like it doesn't exist anymore
0: yeah so we can like all hardly wait i'm just i think it's going to yeah, be one of those really great, great anticipated films and that we can get excited about okay so let's talk Absolutely. about a couple of um well um i'm not excited that Marvel is going to have its first LGBTQ plus superhero. Uh, Uh, We'll just skip over that. Let's talk about um, the highest grossing film globally ever, because that's now a film that is right. I'll let you tell them people what it is. Highest grossing film ever globally.
1: Avengers Endgame has finally, finally passed Avatar. And some of us who are not huge Avatar fans, and I will number myself chief among them, um, are thrilled. Uh, Avengers is a better movie, um, but it uh, it is now at 2.791 billion dollars globally, and it's just squeaked past Avatar by a couple million dollars at this point. Um, and you know, people are saying, "Well, Avatar came out ten years ago. When you adjust for inflation, when you you know remember that there weren't nearly as many theaters in China." Blah, blah, blah. Avatar is (laughs) still, you know, the the benchmark. And then if you want to get really, really deep in the weeds, the true geeks and you can go to box office mojo and they have all of these charts. Like if you go to their all time chart.
0: Yeah, um, nobody's doing that. No, no, no. I know know. you're all by yourself now. I'm all
1: by myself, but they all (laughs) adjust it for they'll adjust it for inflation. And the adjusted for inflation chart is utterly and completely different than the one that's just, you know, dollar to dollar. But the other thing that's interesting is people have pushed back on the Avengers Avatar thing. Uh I'm kind of a box office statistics geek. I'm I'm right in there with all this stuff and they said, "Look, yeah, Avatar had, you know, fewer theaters in China and that sort of thing, but Avengers did it in this environment that has exploded where we have so many yeah. options uh and, you know, so many things people could choose to watch way more." hundreds, maybe thousands more than they did 10 years ago. Uh, And so in some ways it could be a bigger accomplishment than what Avatar did back in 2009. And um, we'll see if anything ever tops it. There are more Avatar movies coming. Hopefully I'm, you know, people realize Avatar actually wasn't that great. So we don't need to give it $3 billion. (laughs) So there you go.
0: Okay, so I had a question uh, uh, emerge this week. From a person who um, was watching Fox Business and they saw an entertainment person about whom they had never heard. His name is Logan Paul. Uh, and they were sort of disturbed to find out um, after watching his interview that he was making like more than a million dollars a month on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I want to, yep. okay, so we have to talk about that like when you get back from vacation because I don't think people have any okay. idea how that all works. So, how sure. does YouTube work and how do people make money doing it? And then, by the time you get back, the Fortnite World Cup will be over and oh, the $30 million that's at stake in the Fortnite. This is a video game that now has a World Cup. Anyway, I'm so actually, we don't have time. I'm
1: actually plotting how my son can pay for college right now with Fortnite. See,
0: see, I feel like you were going to be in the circle of knowing on this. And oh, so when you, the, com- I am. <laughs> when you come back from vacation, I'm going to want to talk about YouTube and I'm going to want to talk about the Fortnite World Cup. Will you be ready?
1: I am ready. I could talk about them right now, Carmen.
0: I know, but we only have 15 <laughs> seconds. So today okay, we well, don't not... have time to talk about it, but <laughs> the next time when you come back, that's what we're talking about in addition to whatever else you want to talk about. Does that sound good?
1: That sounds terrific. I'll look hey, forward to it.
0: Have a wonderful time away, and, uh, and we'll see you again in three weeks. Adam Holtz from great. Plugged In. Yeah. You guys check it out at pluggedin.com. We'll be right back. I don't even know how to follow up that particular break point. Um, And so I think that I'll just move on to what we're talking about next. We're talking about family values and we're talking about valuing the family and we're talking about um, what that looks like. So let me, uh, let, me ask, uh, let me ask the question this way. Are you a working person and are you a working person who has a family? And when your kids were born um, or if when you, ad- when you adopted kids... Did you have the opportunity to take some time off without losing your job and actually with not only ongoing benefits, but actually an ongoing paycheck of some kind at some level? So that is family leave. And this is a conversation that is taking place in the culture, um, not just in relationship to women, but also in relationship to men. We recognize the importance of dads. We recognize the importance of the bonding that takes place between infants Uh, those who are born to us and those we adopt, um, that there's this period of time during which the bonding is just really essential and it's important for the the forming of the actual family. And so to have a conversation about family leave is important. Now, I know I have the ire of some of you up because you are thinking uh, big government program here. Well, we got to start talking about it. We got to start tilling this soil as people who are pro-life for all of life and not just for the pre-born, but for those who are actually here among us. So to help us have that conversation, Rachel Anderson, who's a resident fellow with the Families Valued Initiative at the Center for Public Justice, is going to be here. Uh, we're just going to till the soil of this uh, conversation happening in the culture about paid family leave. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. There are three seeds in every teenager's home. Change, conflict, chaos. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. After living with teens and working with their families for four decades, I'm well acquainted with those three C's. When kids grow up, change is necessary. Mom and dad must flex in order to keep connecting with and training their kids. Then in every family, there'll be conflict. Sometimes it comes because a teenager is changing. Sometimes it comes simply because we're human. But chaos, that's the seed that doesn't have to rule your home. Change is scary, and conflict is even worse. But running from change and conflict will only lead to chaos. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources
1: online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: So when was the last time that you, uh, in your own family or in a family close by, maybe a neighbor, maybe somebody in your church, you know, they needed to be able to bond with their new baby, either a baby that they had biologically or a baby that they adopted. And they, they just frankly couldn't afford to do that. Um, and so we want to have a conversation about what it looks like to be pro-life people who are like for the family in such a way that we would find ourselves as a part of the national conversation about paid family leave. And so to help us till that soil, uh, joining me today is Rachel Anderson. Rachel is a resident fellow with the Families Valued Initiative at the Center for Public Justice. It's a Christian policy and civic engagement organization. You can find them online at familiesvalued.org. Rachel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so um, Uh, family stress is real. Like family stress, people who have kids, the stress is real, even in what I would describe as like two-parent, two-income settings. But for lots of families in America, there are neither two parents nor two incomes. So when we talk about being pro-life, I want to just move into this conversation about what it looks like to be pro-life and be pro-family. And so... Let's just let's just start with what
2: is paid family leave. So paid family leave is a short-term source of income for those who can't work because they're caring for a family member, such as a new baby. And you can think of it this way: um, Parenthood is a delightful but complete disruption in one's life. And at the beginning, as uh, lots of folks know, it's a twenty-four-seven job. And so parents need this time for bonding, for recovery, um, just to be there uh, when a child is beginning to learn how to eat and how to sleep and how to connect. Um, and it's really only after a few months that, uh, let's say, a mom who's given birth is starting to heal, a child is learning to nurse, um, the family maybe at that point has established some rhythms in sleeping and eating and communicating, but it takes a good period of time to get there. And for someone making a typical U.S. income, taking even three months away from work um, to care for that baby means foregoing a fair amount of income. It's over $10,000 in wages. Um, Some workers can pull together sick days or vacation days to cover some of that time, but often not all of it. And this can uh, lead to parents going back to work um, far sooner than they wanted to. Um, And that financial struggle can affect a family when there's a single breadwinner in the household, um, when there are – even if it's the secondary breadwinner, a parent who earns some of the money um, and is taking time off, but but they still can't afford that length of time. Um, So paid family leave is a way to lift some of that economic burden so that families can spend the time they need.
0: Okay. And so I think we tend to think of this. I tend to think of this. I have tended to think of this. As associated with this particular issue and concern, that of newborn babies and mm-hmm. um, the desire of new parents to be home with those babies, either a baby that you know you have biologically or one that you adopt. Um, but that's not the only group of people that we're talking about. We're talking about people recovering from serious uh, illness, and we're also talking about people who find themselves needing to be the primary caregiver, for a a family member who is sick and or dying, am am I right that we're talking about uh, kind of three categories of people when we're talking about paid family leave?
2: It can it can very much cover all three categories. Um, new uh, kind of welcoming a new baby is in some ways the most acute and most mm. kind of well known of the circumstances. Um, another area that we've at least focused on has been caregiving at end of life because. Mm-hmm it's so common. It's so crucial. And, um, these days, um, people can feel like they're either, um, needing to step out of the workforce, um, to care for a loved one or are trying to Juggle both work and that caregiving, and it can be a tremendous burden. Um, and so there's there's a need to really think about that as well, especially f- including those who are in kind of the sandwich situation who may be caring for still kids at home and also uh, may have a parent or other loved one um, with a medical need.
0: Yeah. You're speaking my language, the sandwich generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of us have it on. uh, Right. We've got it on. We got it on both ends and we're already grandparents, too. And so we got we got a whole nother new generation of babies that people think, you know, we we've we've got to have uh, time to take care of. Okay, so, um, Rachel, let's uh, let's talk about this. Paid family leave is really when we talk about it. Um, You and I are thinking of that as just one part of a much bigger pro-family like fabric. Talk about that fabric and some of the other mm. um, threads that we need to reweave together here in America.
2: Mm. Well, we say at the Center for Public Justice that families are covenant communities of love and trust. Um, they are the smallest and most fundamental of human institutions. And God created them to be foundational to a healthy society. Uh, so that's kind of at the heart of, of this thinking. We know that families are under tremendous stress from many sources. Um, we often, there are the sources we often think of like the rising social acceptance of divorce. Um, but families are also under stress from economic forces and even an individualistic culture that pulls each member of the family in a separate direction. Um, I'm a parent and I think about this a lot, whether it's, um, protecting time, uh, for church on Sundays in place of sports practice or, uh, protecting time for family dinner or thinking about the individualizing pressure of social media. um, Those are all very much there, I think, and and kind of give us reason to think a lot about supporting family in this particular time. Some of those pressures we can push back against as a family or as a wider community. Um, And I think our congregations, our community organizations, even our workplaces can play a role in making deliberate choices to affirm family life.
0: So if folks want more information, um, one of the places that they can go is familyvalued.org. But tell us also how people can find the Center for Public Justice.
2: Uh, We're at cpjustice.org. And just by way of background, we're about a 40-year-old institution that's been thinking about public policy from a Christian perspective. Um, So welcome folks connecting with us.
0: Yeah, right. Not a new kid on the block. So the Center for Public Justice Super reliable Christian policy, civic engagement organization. The topic we're specifically topic, talking about today is paid family leave. Um, familiesvalued.org is where you can get all of the information. Rachel Anderson and I are going to continue this conversation right after a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: If your blessings come through
0: raindrops, what if your healing comes through tears? What if it's a- Continuing my conversation with Rachel Anderson. Uh, she and I are talking about paid family leave. You can find uh, more information at familiesvalued.org. dot um, org. Rachel, I'm uh, I'm reading a headline right like right this minute in the Atlantic from yesterday. The conservative argument over paid family leave: some acknowledge it'd be nice for everyone to have, but think it's unrealistic. Um, I think that when we start this conversation, particularly among a conservative group of people, we are torn. We're torn between being ardently and actively very pro-life and and our pro-family instinct and our fiscal conservatism and this fear of one, you know, more big, expensive government commitment or something that's going to cost businesses and nonprofits in ways that uh, we perceive as crippling. So why don't you just make the case for paid family leave?
2: Well, these, as you noted, you're exactly right. These debates often boil down to questions of small versus large government Um, But I think it's important to first ask, what is government for? And one of the things we think about at the Center for Public Justice is that government is a God-given and common good institution. And one of government's chief roles is to ensure that institutions like the family can do their good work. Um, So that's kind of a starting point. Then when we dig deeper, when we look closely at this issue of paid family leave, it's clear that the costs are relatively small, especially if the policy is well designed and the benefits to family and the whole of society are significant. Um, so just looking at the cost, um, you know, what we know now looking at some of the plans that have been offered is that it would cost somewhere between 5 and $28 billion per year. And to put that into perspective, that's less than 5% of the whole social security program. And the policy can be designed well to avoid excessive costs, whether it's through kind of dependency or inappropriate use of the program, um, and just in placing a cap on the amount um, of benefit provided so that the responsibilities are still shared between families, workplaces, and, and any program um, that's developed. But we think it's important to do this because as it stands, the workers who most need paid leave are – uh, maybe they're too early in their career to have saved up a lot um, or to have access to a kind of a, a job with high levels of benefits. Those are the ones who are most likely or, or least likely to get it at work and are most likely to need it.
0: So let's talk about some of the ideas that are being floated in terms of how to pay for it. Because I, I, mm-hmm. I guarantee you that there's people listening right now and they're like, how are we going to pay for that? Like, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. But how are we going to pay for that? So what are some of the ideas being floated?
2: So there are uh, three big ideas at the moment. And, and, and even before that, I'd like to say that none of the proposals are ones that create a mandate for small business. You know, there's kind of a worry that paid family leave would become an employer mandate and would force businesses or nonprofits to pay for expensive benefits that they couldn't afford. Um, but all of the models under consideration right now, um, uh, would not place the burden principally on the employer they're they're thinking of it in a different way. Um, so One key one is to think about paid family leave as an advance on personal social security benefits. Um, Essentially by giving, and this really is in the context of new parents, um, giving new parents access to social security in advance. They would have some pay during that um, early caregiving time, um, and in exchange would reduce or delay social security benefits later in life. Um, By one estimate, it would result in about a 3% reduction in benef- social security, so that's a loss of about $7,000 for an average family per leave. Um, so essentially, this is an approach that allocates the cost of family leave to the families who use it. Um, another major approach would be uh, to address paid leave through payroll taxes. Um, to date, there are at least seven states that have created paid family and medical leave programs for their citizens, and they've done so with a, a you know, modest across-the-board payroll tax increase, um, less than one percent, and um, they're finding so far that those programs are solvent. They haven't um, really exceeded their bounds um, or required, uh, you know, additional increases. So when folks look at this at the federal level, um, they're looking at about a percent, zero point four percent payroll tax increase, and that's for the most generous kind of plan. Um, that would be split between employers or and employees.
0: Okay, we probably have time um, to talk about one more thing. And so maybe let's just get right down to the uh, um, brass tacks here. What's the status of this conversation when we think about like Capitol Hill, when we think about lawmaking and lawmakers, what's the status of this right. conversation?
2: Right. Well, there are several bills right now, um, kind of along the lines that I described with our divided Congress, I think the key work to be done is to build bipartisan consensus around core principles, um, or even just kind of consensus, on, uh, you know, in our own communities around core principles, such as the centrality of family, the dignity of work, um, the need to support families uh, to take care of one another. Um, we're used to hearing about programs that are anti-family, but paid family leave is, essentially empowers families to be there for one another, to do their own good work. Um so we've got you know we're we're focused at the moment on those principles and encouraging our legislators to take this seriously and and to do the hard work to think through how to create a viable program that doesn't exceed its bounds. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, we're happy to kind of keep sharing that kind of information um, and even online, we've got a, a sample uh, sample letter that you can adapt and send yourself
0: so if they wanted to follow you on Twitter, it would be at family. Families Valued and uh, and online, familiesvalued.org. Again, Rachel is a resident fellow with the Center for Public Justice. If you want to check them out, that is cpj.org. Am I right? I'm doing that off the top of my head. cpjustice.org. Oh, see? I I knew. (laughs) They got to write everything down. cpjustice.org. org. Um, and um, and for the listeners that are, you know, like raising concerns, I, I just got a listener who uh, communicated with us on our text line. Um, Rachel, you know, please talk about, you and I don't have time to do this today, but I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you and letting my audience know we will tee this up for a future conversation. Talk about the burden Sounds- of the work that's then placed on those who are left in the office. Two of the three mm-hmm. people in my department are actually on uh, PFMLA, which I assume is a short form of paid family medical leave something. Uh, And they need it. I get it. But, um, you know, like I'm I'm then burdened with basically having to do their work while they're away. So I completely, completely get that. Um, And that's um, that's going to have to be an ongoing part of this conversation. Like, how do we as a community of people in a workplace do this? And how do we do it well? And how do we do it without growing resentful? And those are all parts of this really uh, robust and important conversation. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us to begin to till the soil on this issue. Um, let's uh, let's keep in touch. That's great. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, guys, i got to take one more quick break, and then we'll be right back. Aff. So I do want to say uh, a big thank you to uh, Nat Becker, who is running the boards. He's serving now as the person in charge behind the scenes, pushing my buttons, because Paul Perot, our producer, is um, on, I don't know, is he on family leave? Is that the way we're thinking about it? Not exactly. He's getting married on Sunday, and so send up a prayer for Paul and Jessica as they uh, walk down the aisle and start their new life together, and God makes of two one, which is just the miracle of marriage, and none of us understand it It is a great and profound mystery, and we want to pray God's blessing upon them. Uh, Thank you, Nat. Uh, Do you want to give a shout out to your mom and anybody else?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, my mother and, I don't know, I'm sure there's someone else out there listening.
0: I want to know who's listening because Nat is on. Like, right, you can text me, <laughs> 877-933-2484. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen, at com. Let me know uh, that you're listening, where you're listening from, what you would like us to be talking about, what you appreciate about the program, all all that good stuff. Let me know. Let me hear from you. Um, what are you doing today to go be shiny um, Where are those places and spaces where you just need all the rest of us to be walking with you? Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.